Good morning and welcome to Rimrock Church. What a beautiful day, huh? Thank you, Jesus, for this beautiful day and all the beautiful people in this room. We just want to lift him up, enjoy each other. This is my story. It goes, I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough. Oh, but you came along and put me back together. No, every desire is now satisfied here in your love. Amen. Come on. Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing. Nothing is better than you. Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing. Oh, there's no 
nothing better than you there's nothing better than you lord there's nothing nothing is better than you one more time with just our voices declare it say oh there's nothing better than you there's nothing better than you lord there's nothing nothing is better than you amen
Jesus. Give the Lord a hand. You may be seated. Michael. No song, Tom. It is well. I was thinking about this. We're seeing that regardless of what's going on around us, what's going through our head, what's going through our bodies, it is well. It's not a hope. It's a reality because God's got a hold of our spirit. He's got a hold of our lives. It is well. Amen. Good morning, Rimrock. Great to see you guys. What a beautiful day. The sun's coming in. The drive up is so gorgeous. We also want to thank you for visiting with us or here for the first time. Please stop by the Welcome Center. Chance for us to say hi. Chance for us to get to know you better. There's a welcome card in front of you, so please fill that out. And also coming up, I think there's a, some connection times in your bulletin. There's some times where you can get to know the ministry, philosophy, staff, and so on. So take advantage of those, would you? Um, Acts 1-8. Acts 1 8 is a command that God, or Jesus Christ, gave to his disciples. That first church, over 2,000 years ago, we said, with my spirit's power, in my spirit's power, go out to your Jerusalem, go out to your Judea, your Samaria, and the ends of the earth. If you've been around Rimrock for a while, you know that's important to us. And so they asked me to highlight a couple of those outreach opportunities, kind of go from one spectrum geographically to another. Um, this Wednesday night, they've got Trunk or Treat up here on the main campus. They invite the community, the kids, the families, the grandparents just to come into the auditorium in the building just to enjoy Rimrock. So pray for that. 
it's been huge over the past as far as how it's drawn people into to Rimrock family. So pray for that. If you want to help, always help needed. They need more trunks. They need more candy. They need more smiles and so on. So come on up on Wednesday night. On the other end of that geographic spectrum, if you will, the World Mission Team over the course of time has really worked hard at, prayed diligently just to help us as Rimrock Church go into the, all of the world. We've got partnerships in France, we've got partnerships in India, we've got partnerships in Africa, developing one there, and we've had others as well. We've also had a partnership in Latin America for about 15 years. Eduardo, come on up, buddy. And uh, the ministry that we have partnered with in, in Costa Rica, Latin America, is in Crece Ministry. Like I say, we've been there for 15 years, and just coming alongside these guys, we've sent I think 20 different teams, about 150 different Rimrockers. So Eduardo is a familiar face to a lot of folks here at Rimrock. And so it's nice to have a friend come up. We try to have him come up once a year. Uh, we feed him, we have fun together, we laugh together. Uh, he loves South Dakota steak, beef. So anyway, so we, but we do that very intentionally because we want to pray for our partnership. We want to plan for the future. So we're looking at 2022 and seeing what God would open up there. So, but we also invite him back just to give a, an update to Rimrockers as well. So please greet my friend and brother, Eduardo. Thank you. He said five minutes, I'm not sure. I told him three, so he goes five. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a great joy being with you guys, uh, because like uh, Mike say, uh, being around and you guys are coming to our country for too many years, and for us it's more like a, uh, going down and do things. It's more like a family coming together, working together. I relate this local church like the church of Philippians was for Paul. Uh, because you always are so faithful in every level. I'm not talking only about economics, I'm talking about friendship, relationship, prayer, comfort, in all levels, because for us it's been a great joy and a privilege to serve together in the kingdom and see what God is doing in our midst. Thank you again for all your support and prayers for Juan, his family, his improving, I hope to have a better news for today, but I know you guys have been praying, and we are so thankful because we can perceive your support and care in every level. Um, everything is going um, a challenge in Costa Rica, like every per part of the world, right? It's, everything is different. I think COVID changing and shaping our way of thinking, and I perceive that's is for some people could be terrible. I think it's a great opportunity for spread the gospel because we can use the fear of people in a way to comfort them and bless them and encourage them in a lot of different ways. Uh, maybe we're not doing this in the way we were doing that before, being able to go to uh, places because uh, restrictions, but uh, technology, uh, I don't really like it too much. It's not the best. I'm not really good on that. But we are learning. We are growing. And we are using different venues to do that. And it's becoming a blessing. But something we don't want to do is to lose the 
relationship with the groups or churches or regions that we are working with. Uh, all that you guys are seeing is different uh, people in different times when you are being there, uh, working, having fun, and making us uh, cordial, you know, <laughs> growing together, not only in God, but I hope that uh, you guys will be able to come and, again, keep working and expanding the, the kingdom in what we are doing in Costa Rica. Right now, in this transition that we are going through, we see uh, new things going on. Uh, God is working in a different way, not only with pastors for more than 20 years. I've been working most of uh, the time, 90% of my time, and the team of Increse with pastors in Costa Rica and in other regions too. Uh, right now we're uh, providing some support. Uh, a guy that I know you guys love him and know him is Jose and his family. Uh, I talk to them almost every two, three days. We provide some equipping and training uh, for their teams. They are doing awesome. They send greetings and they always pray for you guys. Because I think we can see God work working in a lot of different venues, areas, not only in Costa Rica, but in other countries around us. We still go once in a while to Nicaragua, Panama, and rural areas. Because I perceive these times is a better times because people are more aware of God. We can see people that really are looking for uh, uh, bigger intensity in the relationship with him. They want to know him better. Uh, some people, when they don't remain in the church, we're still praying that they come back and something that we can do for you when you guys come alongside us is trying to come alongside a few churches to encourage people to come back to church because sometimes people are afraid, they have concerns, but I think God is working through, we're moving forward. Because we hope that in these times when we gather, we can be praying together, uh, doing a few other things that I know uh, Mike and others will be explaining maybe uh, more plainly. But uh, we are so grateful because of that. Thank you again, guys, for your prayer, your love. And for me, it's been a great, huge blessing. Because seeing a lot of people I know, uh, yeah, they feed me a lot. I gain weight already. But uh, <laughs> thank you again for your love and care. I love you guys. Thanks, Eduardo. This has really been, it's a personal as well as just a ministry partnership. I think that's the cool thing about what God's done with Eduardo and other partnerships as well. So continue to pray that as we reach out into the world, as we reach out into the community, that we're just on fire for God and that we follow the Holy Spirit. All of us follow the Holy Spirit in that. While we're together, we do want to pray for Juan. Juan, you want to get a slide there, Levi? Uh, Juan, he's the he's the the director of Increse. He's the right hand man for Eduardo. He's the the administrator. He's the guy who puts stuff together. And he came down with the uh, with COVID October first, and uh, digressed to the point that he was in the hospital incubator, uh, giving 100% oxygen three days ago. He's down to 70% now, and so he's coming uh, beyond that, hopefully, prayerfully. But keep praying for Juan, would you? Um, he's a family, of course. They're, they're devastated, but they're also hanging tight to the Lord. But uh, so in many aspects, just pray for Juan for his healing. 
and of course our trust in God in that. But Father God, we love you, and you are everything, and we recognize that, we know that, Lord God, in our minds, Lord God, transfer that into our hearts, so that as we walk through, whatever we walk through, the highs, the lows, the uh, celebrations, the, uh, the, the incredible disappointments, Lord God, that you are solid, that you have our soul, that you have our being, that you have uh, us, and who we are, Lord God, right square in your hands, and we can trust you in that, and know that you are God, you are good, you are gracious and merciful and powerful. So, Father, we do lift up Juan, Lord God. We trust you with him. We know that he is at a point, Lord God, where he is square with you. And so, Father, we know that, but we just would love to see him from our perspective continue with us. So, Lord God, do your will, but hear our prayers. God, this morning we've come to worship. We've come to praise you through worship. We've come to look at your word through worship. We pray for Boomer, Lord God, that you would just give him an extra anointing of your spirit as he brings us your word, Lord God, that we can... Uh, receive and, and apply, Lord God, all that you've got in store. Father, we've also come to worship you through being together. Thanks for the family. It's amazing, Lord God, what you've done through Rimrock over the years, so thank you for that. But Father, we enjoy it, we enjoy you, and we enjoy one another. Amen. Sing it out, say, my anchor. 
is built up, God. And as Boomer comes up now to speak, Lord, we are trusting you to speak through him, to open the eyes of our hearts, to open our ears, God, because we know that you've been talking to him all week about what you want to talk to us about. So God, Holy Spirit, speak through Boom now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Tom. He's just a fun little guy, isn't he? <laughs> Emphasis on the fun. See what I did? That's grace. I just did that. Just You're welcome, Tom. Good morning, Rimrock. Good morning, Rimrock. How are you guys doing today? I am so glad to be with you guys this morning. It's going to be a lot of fun. If you've got your Bibles, would you get them out? If you've got your phones, don't watch the game yet. It hasn't started. That's the nice thing about first service, people. So you've got nothing else to do but listen, right? Now, pull your Bibles out. We're in the book of Philippians. And we are, uh, we are finishing the first chapter, but we're in this, uh, we're in this series, and uh, it's, I don't know. So we've got this Sunday morning opportunity to engage with Philippians, then we've got a Wednesday night Bible study opportunity to engage with Philippians, and um, kind of an inductive uh, Bible study, kind of really digging into it. Um, some sermon discussion groups that are happening, uh, uh, just lots of ways to interact. Our elementary kids are uh, reading through the book of Philippians and studying it on Wednesday nights. Our high school and middle school kids are in Philippians. Uh, 
through the end of the year. So it's, uh, it's kind of cool. We've got all these uh, opportunities to kind of jump into this uh, book, and uh, I'm excited about it. You know, it seems like every week uh, in the message, we're adding just a little bit more of the details about kind of the background and the, what was happening in the culture uh, that, of the folks that were receiving this letter from Paul. And so I want to uh, just uh, add to what we understand about this church in uh, Philippi. This, the, the actual town, the, the, the city of Philippi, um, had been around for a while, but in, uh, I'm horrible with these dates, so I'm going to look. But in, in 356 B.C., um, King Philip the um, second of Macedonia uh, happened to be the father of Alexander the Great, right? Uh, when he came and he, uh, he renamed the city after himself because he was a humble kind of guy like that and, uh, and kind of developed it, made it larger. And then um, uh, hundreds of years later in 42 BC, uh, Philippi actually became a Roman colony. There was a a very significant battle that happened just outside of Philippi, and uh, um, the Romans just crushed it. And so they, uh, they made Philippi a, a Roman colony, and then there were a couple more battles that happened within the next uh, four or five years just right there in that area. And it just kind of, it just kind of uh, uh, bolstered the, the reputation of Philippi. And so they had the distinction way out on the eastern frontier of the, of the Roman Empire of being the, the, the lone Roman colony out on that, on that side of the kingdom. And they took a lot of pride in their status as a Roman colony. I mean, there were some benefits that went along with it, right? I mean, they kind of had, they had an autonomous government there. They, uh, they were immune from uh, taxes uh, from, the, uh, from Rome, which, I mean, that, there's a perk. There's a reason to move into town, right? And, and, uh, and they just, they just kind of walked around with a swagger. I mean, dude. We're from Philippi, right? They, they, the city was on a major trade route, so there were always people coming through. The economy was robust, and they took a lot of pride in where they lived. Now, I, I, <clears throat> Lee DeLang made the comment one time that, um, that I wear my trademark hat, and this morning I've switched it up, but I, but I was intentional at switching it up. I, I, this is one of my favorite hats to wear. I got this hat a couple of summers ago uh, when um, there, was a lot of, there was a lot of conflict in America. And my brother is a firefighter, and I have a lot of good friends who are law enforcement officers. And uh, so I chose, I chose this morning to wear the hat because... There are times, and maybe you've had seasons like this too, there are times when I am very, very proud of my American heritage. I mean, I enjoy being able to say I'm an American. I've, I've traveled outside the U.S. I've been in uh, different places. I enjoy being able to say I'm an American. I think that's a, I think that's a cool thing. 
And, and yet, there are times when I see fellow citizens and I kind of, maybe I want to act Canadian. Because there, there, there's, there's a responsibility that goes along with our citizenship. And so on the one hand, I can identify with the, with the, the church in Philippi, with the citizens of that city saying, there's some pride in that. But then I'm reminded of what Paul has to say. So let's jump in uh, to verse 27 is where we're going to start. And I want you to notice right here at the beginning, and I mean, it's weird, we're going to cut up a single verse into a couple different pieces here. But here's verse 27, and it starts like this. I'm reading out of the NIV this morning. It says, whatever happens, Paul writes, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. It's a really interesting thing in Greek, that word um, worthy, uh, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy is actually one word in Greek. And literally, literally, it, Paul says, uh, the, the word means live as a citizen. There was a responsibility that was wrapped up in being a citizen. And I love that Paul knew his audience, he was friends with the people that were in that church. He started that church. He had deep relationships, friendships. In fact, the relationship, as I imagine, the relationship with Paul and this church in Philippi is very, very sweet, like the relationship that I've gotten to see this week between Mike and Eduardo. I love that. I mean, we're separated by thousands of miles, but there's a friendship that's that's, that's born over this long relationship and a struggle for the gospel. And it, it was the Philippians that were there for Paul, and there was a deep relationship. And Paul says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Literally, live as a citizen. And that would have stirred something in them. Been, Ooh, yeah, I'm a citizen. But then Paul has a second meaning to it. He reminds them, you are not just a citizen of Rome. You're a citizen of heaven. Live in such a way that you reflect the gospel well. One commentator said this, Philippi was a colony of Rome in Macedonia. And the church was a colony of heaven in Philippi. There's a responsibility that goes with our citizenship. And Paul echoes that citizenship, that heavenly citizenship uh, language over and over and over again. You, you would notice it in chapter 3, verse 20. Chapter 3, verse 20, where he says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord 
Jesus Christ. He repeats that kind of message. He says the same kind of thing in Ephesians chapter 4 and in Colossians chapter 1. Paul uses this language over and over as he's reminding the, the saints in the church, you are a citizen, live as a citizen of heaven. And there's a responsibility that goes with it. I ran across a poem this week. I'm not a poetry guy. Just admittedly not a poetry guy. But I ran across this, and I think it fits really well with what we're talking about right here. It's a poem by a man named Paul Gilbert, and it says this, You are writing a gospel, a chapter each day, by deeds that you do and words that you say. Men read what you write, whether faithless or true. Say, what is the gospel according to you? I think this is kind of the crux of what Paul is reminding the Philippians. That there's a responsibility that goes with citizenship. That being a citizen of heaven. And the way that you conduct yourselves, the way that you live, reflects the gospel of Jesus Christ, and even the person of Jesus Christ. Warren Wiersbe, in his commentary on Philippians, shared this story. He said, a church member told his pastor, we have, a, we have some neighbors who believe a false gospel. Do you have some literature that I can give them? Now, I laughed to myself when I, I got right there because I was, I was anticipating the punchline. Like, yeah, here's your Bible. There's some literature, right? Thankfully, he narrowed it down a little bit. The pastor opened his Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2. And it says, You are a letter written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Written by Paul to a different group of believers. But citizenship has responsibility. And the way that we conduct ourselves reflects the gospel. And the pastor says, The best literature in the world is no substitute for your own life. Let them see Christ in your behavior. And this will open up opportunities to share Christ's gospel with them. Now there are three things that I want to share this morning. And, and each one is going to have a question to it. Because... We don't want to be only hearers of the word. We want to be doers of the word. And if we come and we hear God's word and we leave and we're no different, then we've wasted our time. Or we've deceived ourselves that we've done something worthwhile. So let's finish this first verse, uh, this verse 27. Paul goes on then and he says, Then whether I come and see you, or only hear about you in, in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit. Paul had a deep desire to reconnect physically, to, to revisit this church in Philippi, this group of friends, long-time uh, relationships. He had a desire to go. And he was, wasn't able to go at the point because he was in prison, but he's writing and he's saying, I, I want to come and see you, but I don't know what God's plan is for me. 
I don't know whether God will release me and allow me to come and see you. And he says, but no matter what the plan is, I want to be able to either see it with my eyes or hear about your faithfulness, your standing together uh, in the spirit. And, I, and so you may ask the question because honestly, we dropped a big one, right? Uh, that, that first verse or that the first part of the verse where he says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Like that's a, that's a, is that uncomfortable for you? I mean, it's been uncomfortable for me for at least a week. Like there's, like there's an expectation. And so it, 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 it brings me to a point of asking, okay, Paul, what does that mean? To live a life worthy of the gospel. What does that mean? And what I love is that Paul outlines it for us in today's scripture, but then all through the rest of the book, chapter 2, 3, 4, he's going to expand on these same ideas so that we have a much fuller idea of what it means. That's really what the rest, it's kind of cool, Ben. I didn't realize that you gave me like a, like a, a really important part. You know, usually it's like, eh, yes. here's the softball one. Like, you can't figure that one out, right? No, Ben's, Ben's much nicer than that. He would never say it. Um, but Paul gives us an outline for what does he mean. What does it mean to live a life worthy of the gospel? And so he outlines it for them. And here's the first one, right? That you would stand firm in the Spirit. That you would stand together in the Spirit. He wanted, Paul wanted to see the Philippian church standing together, shoulder to shoulder, in unity together. I love the word, the word that he uses there, that uh, stand firm word is one that, it means an unflinching courage like, those like, like that possessed by soldiers who determinedly refuse to leave their post no matter how the battle rages. I am not moving. I will stay by my comrade. I will stand with you no matter what comes. And if you remember now, the, the church of Philippi was born out of conflict. Paul had been there not very long at all, just a, a couple of days, had been sharing the gospel, had, people had been, had been responding to this. We get all this kind of background in Acts chapter 16, but it, there, was, there was conflict. Some people stirred up problems. They threw uh, uh, Paul and Silas into prison, and even God used even that in order to bring more people to Christ. And yet that church was born out of this conflict. And the conflict didn't start when Paul moved on. Because they are preaching Christ is Lord in the midst of a city that says Caesar is Lord. There is a conflict that's going to happen. And the believers from the very first day were, were experiencing the conflict of the gospel... 
versus the culture. And Paul says, you have got to stand together. There is a responsibility that comes in our citizenship of heaven, and you've got to stand together if you're going to represent the gospel well. You've got to stand together. And in our culture today, friends, we've got to stand together. I so appreciate this week that Ben shared out of Romans 14, correct? I got it wrong one time when I was talking to him. Romans 14. When Paul, literally, he deals with matters of opinion. And how do we as believers stand together in the midst of having different opinions? Very real, very strong opinions. And how do we stand together? You want to know the answer to that? Go read Romans chapter 14. But friends, we cannot represent the gospel well if we are divided and at odds with each other. We have got to stand together. There has got to be a unity based on the Spirit. And the question that I need you to consider, and you can write it down, because I don't know that you're going to have an answer right now. So write this down. There's room in your bulletin. But the question that I need you to consider, not for my sake, but for the sake of the gospel, is, is there someone that you're at odds with? Is there someone that you need to reconcile with Someone that you need to offer forgiveness to? Is there someone that you're at odds with? And if so, then the, the do what it says part is to take care of that this week. We must stand together because we are bound by one spirit. Paul says, well, what is the evidence then that we're standing? Well, Paul doesn't say this. I wrote this. What is the evidence that we're standing together, that we're bound by that same spirit? And I think we look at that. We see that answer in the last part of verse 27. The last part of verse 27. This says, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Not only are we standing shoulder to shoulder, but we are working together toward the same goal. There is an action that happens there. Not only am I not leaving you, but I am battling with you. I am working with you. I'm striving toward the same goal with one faith. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul puts it this way. He says, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit so, that, so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles or slave or free, we are all given the one spirit 
to drink. That word strive together is where we get our word athletics. Does that, does that, does that give you a word picture? Right? This is what Paul is talking about. Not only are we standing together, but we are working together toward the same goal. We are, we, Paul has in mind here a team that's working together, every person doing his part, and yet we all may have different jobs, but we're all pulling in the same direction. One of my favorite movies, and I kind of come back to it regularly, my, my mom's family um, was from kind of rural Indiana, and I don't know if that's exactly what stirs something cool for me in this, but one of my favorite movies is Hoosiers. And I just, if you're not familiar with the movie, there's a new coach that comes in and to a little bitty tiny school, a new, new basketball coach comes in. And as he walks into the gym the very first day, he kind of says to himself, all right, let's see what hand I've been dealt. Right? And, and in, in self, the, the team describes themselves as four and a half guys. Because the, the one guy, the equipment manager, due to lack of participation, um, is on the floor playing, right? But I want to show you a little clip this morning um, of, uh, of the team and this idea of working together towards a common goal. Pop, pop, get rid of it. Pop, get rid of it. Hot potato, hot potato, hold it. Hold it. Hold it. Let's be real clear about what we're after here. Wipe that smile off your face. This is not funny. The five players on the floor function as one single unit. Team, 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 right? No one more important than the other. Pop them, pop, get rid of them. Come on, team. Makes me want to watch the rest of it. I know what I'm doing this afternoon. I mean, before I fall asleep in the first 15 minutes, but but there's the idea, right? Paul's talking about like we work together, we strive together, we have unity in the spirit, but our goal is to work together for a common faith. Now, Paul had been visited, right? The, the Philippian church had sent him gifts had sent him support, had sent him care, and had sent him a man named uh, Epaphroditus. And so here Epaphroditus had come. He was bringing the gifts. He was bringing the encouragement from the church. Epaphroditus was with him. I explained to our kids downstairs on Wednesday night that the, the, this is an aside, but it'll be a short one, that, our, that the, the prison system was different then than it is now. Our prisoners now, they get meals and they, and they get clothes and, and everything, I mean, everything's provided, right? I mean, they, everything's provided. That wasn't the case. If people from the outside didn't bring food and didn't bring medicines and didn't bring clothing, then those prisoners didn't have that. And so there's a gratefulness, a thankfulness from Paul that, that the Philippian church 
would send someone with gifts, with things that would take care of, of Paul while he was in prison for the gospel. And yet also, I, I imagine that Epaphroditus also, as he's bringing an update to the church and the people in there, and I can, can you imagine, Paul, is, he gets the visitor and he begins saying, oh, what about, what about, tell me about, oh, and, and when I left, did, this was happening, how did that get resolved? He, Paul's getting all of these stories about his friends in Philippi, but Epaphroditus shares with him some stories that are not as encouraging about some disunity, about some conflict that was happening. We get a little taste of that at the very end of the letter in chapter 4, verse 2, where Paul is addressing two of these uh, women who are prominent in the church, but there was some, some, some disunity going on. And Paul is saying, we... He's, he's encouraging, he's saying, you, you have to be unified, but you have to be pulling in the same direction. We're working toward the same faith. And the question, I guess, that I want to ask in this, in this section is, are you applying your time and your talents and your energy in the kingdom. One of the things that I love about Rimrock is that the kingdom is not defined by the four walls of the church. So understand that when I ask the question, I don't mean, are you busy here in this building? But being busy does not necessarily mean, yes, that you're busy for the kingdom. Are you laboring alongside the saints for the sake of the gospel? That's a question to write down. That's a question to consider because we don't want to be hearers of the word only. We want to be doers of the word. And God has entrusted in each one of you a certain amount of time. In fact, we all kind of have the same amount. He gave us that one equally. The same amount of time, but he's given us talents and gifts and abilities And if we want to live a life worthy of the gospel, not only do we have to be unified, but we also have to be working for a common faith. Are you laboring alongside the saints? Because we need everyone's help. Everyone has a part to play. God didn't create bench riders. He didn't need them. So it's a question to consider. Well, here's our last one. When we're united by one spirit and we're working with a common purpose, then, then we're able to face opposition together. 
I'm going to back up and read now from 27 through 28. Follow along with me. Paul says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they, that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. The verb in chapter 20, in verse 28, translated frightened there, is extremely rare. In fact, it's not used anywhere else in the Bible. So we have to go outside, and we have to look at other, um, what I call extra-biblical sources, right? We have to look at other literature of the time to kind of get an idea of what is this word that Paul drops in for the first time ever. Right? And what is he trying to say? And that, that word is actually it's used to describe a, a skittish horse who's frightened by an, by, an, uh, by an unexpected object. I want you to catch that. I don't know if you're a horsey people or not. I'm, not, I'm vaguely a horse. Like, I, I can recognize a horse. I can say, hey, there's a horse. And I know you sit on the back of it, but other than that, I'm not really horsey, right? But I've seen enough movies, because that makes me an expert. Uh, but when a horse gets frightened by something, I mean, they're kind of hard to control, and they have a tendency to take off, Right? This is the word that Paul uses. Paul says, we're standing firm in one spirit and we're striving together for the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Essentially, I think Paul's saying that believers are not to lose control of themselves when they encounter opposition to the gospel. First of all, it should be expected. And that actually is, a, is actually a point of comfort and hope for us. Paul would say in the book of Philippians, it's a source of joy, right? The opposition is a source of joy. James chapter 1 verse 2 says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. And Paul, in the first part of this letter, and he'll reference it in other parts as well, uses his own situation as an example of how to respond when we come up against opposition to the gospel. In verse 7, he says, Whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. In verses 18 and 19, he said, Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me, being in prison, will, be, will turn out for my deliverance. In verse 30, which we haven't gotten to yet, says, since you are going through the same struggle that you saw that I had, and now hear that I still have. They saw it firsthand when he planted the church. They've heard about it now, and they've sent Epaphroditus to support him as he's once again in prison for the gospel. Paul's point is that we can get we, we can have joy that comes from those 
hardships, and I think for a couple of reasons. First of all, because Christ says that if we follow him, we will have the same trouble that he had. What did they do to him? They killed him. He says to his followers, just expect it. They will not treat you better than they treated me. And so when we faced opposition, it can be a source of joy, but it can also be a confirmation. I love this. It can also be a confirmation that we are in Christ. I believe that this is what Paul is talking about in verse 28. That he says, this is a sign to them, those who are opposing you, that they'll be destroyed. They are not going to fight against who they are for. Right? You follow the logic there? So they are outside of Christ. Those outside of Christ are destined for destruction. This is what he's talking about. And yet, he says, but you will be Saved, not because of the opposition, but the opposition reminds them, I am in Christ. I am His. And I am engaged in the battle. And so I am facing opposition. Verse 29 says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for him. That word granted has the same root as the word grace. And not very many of us, when we face hardship and suffering, consider it a blessing. Not very many of us. Most of us look at suffering and hardship as something to get through as quickly as possible. We pray that it doesn't last very long. We hope that it doesn't have any long-lasting effects on us. Or we hope to avoid it altogether. If we're really smart, if I play my cards right, I won't have to suffer. That's not at all what Paul's talking about. He says, when you suffer, it is a blessing. Because God uses the suffering to shape you and mold you to be more like Christ. That's why Paul can take joy in his suffering. And so here are the hard questions. Now, before I get there, Eduardo shared with the staff on Wednesday, I so appreciated it, he shared with the staff on Wednesday how God is glorified when the body of Christ Praise for one another. He's talking about in the midst of suffering, how is God glorified? And sometimes I think about it in terms of, well, when I suffer, God is glorified because of my response to it. But, but Eduardo, I love, he kind of he went around and came in the back door on this. Well, we were, we're talking about Pastor Juan. We're talking about um, his, his illness. And, and even on Wednesday, it was, it was uh, touch and go. And yet, Eduardo says, I mean, 24 hours a day, there are people praying for him. And this, I love what he said. He said, 
When one of us is hurting, other believers turn their faces towards our Father, asking Him to act on another's behalf. Standing shoulder to shoulder, battling together. God is glorified in one person's suffering as the rest of the body leans into Him, demonstrates their faith and their dependence on His care and faithfulness and provision. That's how God is glorified in the midst of our suffering. It's not just the way we respond when we're suffering. It's how the body responds to come alongside and to turn our face towards God and to say, God, you're, you're the only hope that we have. And God's glorified in it. When the body of Christ stands together in the spirit, when it works together towards the same goal, when it faces opposition, opposition together, our witness in the world will be multiplied. What I love is that when we stand without shrinking back, when we stand in the face of opposition without shrinking back, it totally confuses and confounds the world. They do not understand. They don't get it. They don't know what to do with believers who don't cave under pressure. And I will say that I think for some, certainly not all, but for some, it creates in them a curiosity that they would, that they would want to know more about who is this God that they worship, that they're not freaked out when we threaten them or fire them or bully them or treat them unfairly or unkindly. Who is this God? What is it about them that's different? And I think it stirs some curiosity in them. Certainly not all, but some. And when they begin to seek, Christ will be glorified all the more. So the question for this section that I would have you consider is, have you shrunk back from opposition and kept silent when a stand is called for. Or have you isolated yourself when you need community most of all? Because you can sit in a room like this for an hour on Sunday morning and be isolated. Or you can watch from home and be isolated. Folks, if we're going to live a life worthy of the gospel, we've got to stand together in one spirit. We've got to work together, laboring for the faith. And then we have to be willing to face opposition together. God didn't design us to walk alone. He did allow us to live and walk and serve and follow Christ together. 
So I want to pray for you because there's some big questions that I ask you to consider. We don't want to be hearers of the word. We want to be doers of the word. So this week, think about those questions. Even today over lunch, think about the questions. Have a discussion with the Lord about those questions. Let me pray for you. God, I pray right now that each person in here, God, that you would um, whisper to them with your spirit. Father, that you, in your gentleness, in your gentleness, God, that you're drawing them to consider those questions. And Father, that you would stir in them a courage and a boldness. God, that you would give them a humility to even answer the questions accurately. Father, would you give them what they need to respond to your word today? Father, we want to be people who live lives worthy of the gospel. That when people see us, they see you clearly. Not a version of you, but they see you. Father, we love you. We cannot do this on our own. And we are so grateful that you've sent your son, and not only as our example, but as, your, as, as our power to live a life for us, in us. Holy Spirit, do that work. Do that work. We love you. Amen. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever stand and Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. Oh, we live for you. Come on, let's sing it to him. Say, Holy, there is no one like you, there is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder and show. up Wednesday night for the trunk or treat, right? I think we give candy to adults too, maybe, I don't know. God bless. Oh, holy.